Hello everyone, and welcome again to another episode of Third Impact Anime. I am your host, Bill, here to lead you on a seasonal seasonal review, seasonal exposition of this past great season of fall 2022 anime. And with me to discuss the cornucopia of shows is Tobias. Yes, I am Tobias the Rock. <laughs> Hopefully you won't mutate into a, a weird creature out of fear, like in Boat to the Rock. But uh, I'm glad you're here with me, Tobias. <laughs> I think if I tried to make the horrible screeching sound that she makes, um, we would stop getting listeners. <laughs> we would turn it off and never listen to our podcast again. <laughs> that, that's, that's the end state of the podcast, is that noise. <laughs> <laughs> we're... Like I said, we're here to talk about Fall 22 anime season, which I'm really surprised with how, for me at least, it was a stacked season. Like, the spring season we had last year was also pretty stacked, uh, which we did an episode on. And I thought, usually every year there's like one really packed season, and the rest of the seasons there's like a, a smattering of things. But this fall season, I kept finding show after show after show to keep me engaged and delayed my long viewing shows that I, that I put on the back burner. Uh, well, what really happened was that a few of the shows we're going to talk about have been known about for a long time. We've anticipated them for a while. It just so happened that they came out during the same season. But to your point, there are a lot of surprises we noticed as well. So it just so happened that both of these big name shows and these uh, happy surprises happened at the same time. Yeah, it was a mixture of uh, kind of uh, franchise uh, titles uh, with uh, new seasons. Like uh, one popular one was Mob Psycho 100 that came back for its third season. And newer things like Bochi the Rock, which we're definitely going to be talking about. And more established titles that got really popular through the manga, like Chainsaw Man. So I, it was a good mixture, I thought, this season. Absolutely. It kept me busy. And uh, when it kept you busy, but anime always keeps you busy, Bill. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just need to get off the hamster wheel. I need to find a way to stop. I cannot stop. <laughs> That'll uh, be the day. And the podcast ends. <laughs> well, hopefully we won't get to that point anytime soon. But was there anything that we didn't get to because of maybe just because of backlog or maybe because of things in real life uh, that that caught your eye, but you didn't have time for it at the time? Well, the uh, the big one is going to be Akiva Made War a show which would not have interested me at all based on the title. But a lot of people, a lot of our mutuals and fellow podcasters have said really good things about. So I keep meaning to go back. I think because of how much anime I watched last season, I've been I've been really slow to watch new stuff as I'm a little burnt out and tired. But I do want to check out Akiba Maidvor before it you know, falls into obscurity because of how many people were talking about it. Yeah, it had a bit of a cult following where people were just loving kind of the absurdity of the premise. I tried it, and 
Uh, maybe it's just the first episode, but the first episode really didn't click with me. It probably gets better as the show progresses, but I think also just with the with the amount of shows that I took on this season, I was like, I need to know when to say no. <laughs> so yep. <laughs> may, may, maybe I'll get back to it. For me, one thing that overall I'd like to get into, but just haven't, is uh, Golden Kamui Season 4 had their... Right had their season during the fall and I'd started golden Kamui the first season and really enjoyed it, but it, I was doing it in a group watch. And as we went on, we kind of realized that that show was not a good group watch show, but it is a very mm. bill core show based off the premise. And I've always, and I've always wanted to get caught up with that show, but for some reason or another, it's just always kind of, uh, kind of been in the background. I, th- I think, it having its streaming problems because some of it was on Funimation, some of it was on Crunchyroll, and I could never really figure out where exactly the other seasons were uh, streaming wise. Uh, but I know, isn't this, isn't this the last season? I believe, did I mishear that? I believe it is the last season because the isn't the manga finished? You know, Golden Conway is a thing that I was really into right before the anime came out. Uh, I've heard a lot of buzz about the manga and really excited to start reading it. And I just, I don't know, man. I think, I don't want to entirely blame it on the first season of the anime with some of the disappointing CG. But I just have not been able to really, like, get myself excited for Golden Kamui again. And I don't know why. Like, I haven't really read or watched any of it since season one came out. I will say in their defense, the CG bear was not that bad. I... (laughs) It, uh, it 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 was it was not great, but it was so comical enough that I could I could let it pass it because the rest of the show from what I watched was pretty pretty solid animation wise. Uh, but maybe yeah, the listeners the, will let us know what they think about the CG bear because uh, <laughs> maybe my memory is fuzzy, but it was uh, oof, it was extremely bad. <laughs> At least I thought when I watched it yeah. way back. Oh man, what 2017, 2018 now? Good lord, yeah. what's up? lifetime ago time flies don't it tobias <laughs> <laughs> time flies when the bear looks bad <laughs> yeah all right so before we continue with the podcast proper bill we have a comment we're into the podcast inc and a fellow taiku contributor uh had a um a comment about our last episode, the Secret Santa episode, which it seems like it was last year that we recorded this episode at this point. Time does fly. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and see what Ink has to say about this. Anime Planet is a great website and not run by Nazi sympathizers. I have never looked back since leaving my anime list, and it's so easy to look for and keep up with simulcasts. Bill's dead on about the core of Keijo being the straight-played absurdity. And as a note, the series was so short because the manga got cancelled for lack of popularity. Best to end strong before the gags got lame? I was curious about Housing Complex C. Thanks for sparing me the time XD. I love that the dog was acting up only during the brand new animal discussion. Also, I liked BNA a great deal despite similar trigger warnings and would also recommend Cyberpunk. 
When Watanabe announced Space Dandy at Otakon in 2013, he told us he edited the preview while on the plane and without much sleep. That said, the English tagline read a dandy guy in the space, and I can never think of the show without that in my head. Curious, which director's episodes did you feel didn't justify the anthology format and why? Alrighty, thank you so much for writing in. So let's just go ahead and knock this off point by point. Uh, first of all, with Anime Planet, I know that Austin had been using this for a bit, and I had kind of not been using list at all. I kind of I had in my anime list back in the day. I initially tried to catalog everything I had ever seen, and that didn't work out too well. And then trying to keep up with it every season, and then their adherence to using the Japanese romaji titles instead of the translated license one. Just a bunch of factors kind of kept me from continuing to use it. And of course, with it being that many more years, and with my taste changing as time has gone on, I didn't feel like trying to go through and edit everything. So <laughs> uh, seeing Anime Planet, it just seemed like it solved a lot of issues. It, it just, the site worked. It didn't look like it was stuck in 2004 in design principles. They used the actual English titles, and it just seemed uh, pretty easy to add stuff. So again, I didn't try to add everything I'd ever seen uh, the past, what, 20-something years of my anime fandom. But it just kind of started pretty fresh and hit the, the basics. So, Bill, have you... Uh, it looked like you had only started Anime Planet about the same time as The Secret Santa, right? Yes, I believe that is the case. Um, because I, at one point, had a Mal account. But like most people, I suspect, you kind of forgot about it. Because for the longest time, they didn't have a app to use. So I just kind of fell off using it. And then I decided for Secret Santa, I've heard some good things about Anime Planet from Austin. And it was a good clean slate. Whereas having to go back to Mao and so okay, what's this password? Okay, how do I go through this <laughs> website UI again? Like you said, I think Anime Planet's web design is pretty modern and i was able to get through it pretty easily they, for me anime planet has been um pretty productive i was able to add everything that i remembered from my anime list i usually after a season add what i had watched i don't keep up with it daily like i do with letterbox i think if they had an app i would be more proactive on it but since i have to log in via the web on my phone i do a periodic update and that's kind of how i treat anime planet but i but i quite enjoy it and i enjoy its not snobbiness of oh we only have to use the japanese names because that's the proper names which i think is a bit snobby and of course you know things have just changed now but back you know back in my day when we were using mal like you could use it on um, the old iPhones, but there wasn't necessarily a mobile version of the site. So trying to navigate it on your phone was a complete and total pain in the ass. Like we think about apps and even mobile versions of sites now, like every site has one of those options, but that wasn't always the case back in the day. It was difficult to do. There were some third-party apps for Mal, but you know, whatever. Uh, but, but the Anime Planet, they do have a mobile version of the site. It, it could be better. If they had made a dedicated app, it could be better. But just having that available, 
it's really helped me when I watch something simulcast to keep up with it as it goes. That helped out a whole lot with this, this season that we're going to be talking about today as we were watching, what, 10 shows a piece. Being able to log those as we watch them was pretty pretty easy. All right. Well, did you want to uh, comment on Keijo at all? Uh, particularly, Inc. points out that you know, sort of it runs pretty short. Do you think that it benefited from getting cut short a bit? Or do you think it could have had more gas on the tank? It's probably for the best that it ended when it did because the material that they were using would probably eventually get old after a while for the type of kind of no-nonsense humor that it went with and how it played everything straight-laced that probably would have gotten old if this was a 26-episode series or if the manga was longer. So while in my heart... I probably would have liked it to have been a bit longer. My brain's telling me it's probably for the best that it ended before I said, okay, enough. I know this joke. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> exactly. Very easy to, to wear those thumb. But enough about Spy Family, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Uh, next up, he just talks about DNA and uh, like Cyberpunk. So. We talked on the episode about BNA being so different than other trigger shows, which had kept you invested. Do you have you seen any of Cyberpunk at all, or do you have any interest in watching Cyberpunk? I do. I'm interested in the Cyberpunk aesthetic. I have no real connection to the video game. Like I saw all the hype, like everybody else did, but with how that landed with a bad thud. I have never really had any desire to play it, but that's here no there with the with the anime adaptation, and at some point I will get to it. Uh, who knows when? But I'm excited to check it out when I do. I binged through about half the series like the first weekend it had come out, and I think the the anime in the animation you can see the triggerisms, you can see Maishi at work. But because they're being held back by CD Projekt Red or whoever is holding the chains, it doesn't go overboard like a lot of people have issues with trigger stuff. So I can see the comparison there. If um, if you enjoyed BNA and how maybe muted they felt like in that series, then Cyberpunk may be something for you. It's certainly over the top. It's certainly hyper-violent. But it's not, they haven't gone overboard with the trigger, the triggerisms, as it were. Hmm. And then lastly, the the bit about Space Dandy. So, yeah, one of the first things I remember, yeah, I kind of got back into anime about 2013, and I remember the the hype around Space Dandy. I remember a lot of people live-tweeting, going to Otacon. It may have been Hink at that point. It's been so long. And uh, mentioning, you know, the Dandy guy in the space, which is funny because every time I watch the the opening and they do the little opening monologue, I almost inherit, like in the back of my head, I heard a dandy guy in the space, but of course he doesn't actually say that. So it's one of those things that it's really hard to search after the fact for for a, a particular article, you know, the. But I'm glad I didn't just make that up. I'm glad that it was <laughs> a real and ink has been able to catalog that for posterity. It was one of phantom memory. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
The one thing I the one meme I remember from Space Dandy, and at this point I can't remember if I mentioned it on the the podcast, was this little comment called Spance Daddy. Someone had misspelled Space Dandy as Spance Spance Daddy, and it drawn a little MS Paint comic series about these characters, and it was really stupid as hell. <laughs> I wish I could go back and find those comics because it was just that that sort of you know 2014 era shit posting, the not not quite evolved form that we have nowadays, but. Still, still kind of out there. Uh, lastly, he asked, uh, which director's episode did you feel didn't justify the anthology format? And, you know, I don't really think... I can't really think of one. There were certainly some episodes I liked less than others. But it's the very fact that this was a central plot, a central set of characters, and they were able to do whatever, really, as long as it fit that general science fiction theme... They could go to whatever planet. They could invent whatever aliens they wanted. They could do whatever. And I think that worked for all of them. Even the ones that I didn't particularly care for or liked less. I mean, it, it fit the format really well. I think like stuff like Champloo and like Bebop, we do have a central narrative that we find out about as the story progresses. We do have the central core of cast of characters. And they do have character growth, as little as it is. I think that works really well. And, you know, I don't think this is a show that we could get another season of, even though the Watanabe would have to do uh, another anthology altogether to do, you know, pretty much continue. That's pretty much what he does. But I think it worked out just really well. It was a snapshot of anime creative talent at that time in the same way that you can look at Bebop and Champloo and sort of see that snapshot during those particular times what bebop is 97 98 or so and shampoo is like early 2000s like 2003 2004 yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so if this is a snapshot of that talent in 2014 i think it 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 does that perfectly i would love to see Wathanabe do continue to do more anthology stuff if he were able to get you know a new new era of, of of animators and creative together i'd love to see more of that to me, just thinking about his question, I would say that almost everything in an anthology for me is is kind of up and down. And so when someone says, "Oh, that doesn't really fit within the anthology format," I'm I think that's one of the main advantages and disadvantages of something that you might not think fits, someone else might love to death. Um, like I remember when we did the memories episode, uh, Austin and Tori loved stink bomb. I strongly disliked stink bomb at the time. (laughs) Probably need to go rewatch it. Maybe, maybe my opinion has changed, but to me that didn't fit in. Whereas to them, they thought it was a great palate cleanser after magnetic rose. So, and and the up and down quality of anthologies, I think, is what what is the, one of its greatest strengths and greatest weaknesses, all wrapped up in one. And why I think all, you could put almost anything in anthology format, and uh, you're always going to get an interesting mixture. Um, there's never I've never heard anybody say like this is the perfect anthology work. All right, well, that's going to go ahead and do it so we can move on to the episode itself. (laughs) 
enough of what we didn't watch. Why don't we get on to what we did watch? And why don't we start off with probably the most anticipated show of the season and the one that probably people were really hungry for, which was Chainsaw Man, which you watched. Did you watch any of this? I watched the first remember. episode. I watched the first episode. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, this the, the manga took the world by storm at the beginning of the pandemic. It was just one of those things that everyone talked about, everyone was excited for, and for good reason. Like Chainsaw Man is a, I would say, generally a good series. It's interesting. It is, I would say, the best way I can describe it and its appeal is that it is a Zoomer devil man. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of similarities to the original Devilman story and all of the offshoots and things that have taken inspiration from Devilman over the past few decades. But it really feels like this is you know, hitting not only Zoomers, but Millennials as well, with some of the themes of the predatory capitalism we see in the very first chapter uh, of the work. Sort of this character that is just, he's just sort of hapless and, and wants to live and be there but at the same time, he's being forced to do things by the powers that be and under this system of literally these beings trying to, to murder him, murder everybody around him. Mm. Uh, I watched um, in the first two episodes I was kind of down on initially. I had a lot of expectations based on what the manga was and what it, it was going to be. And it didn't quite hit it. And I feel like some of that is just my own preconceived notions. I perhaps wasn't judging those two episodes that fairly. On the other hand, I saw a lot of other people who were really into the manga also say some not great things about those two episodes as well. So I don't think I was entirely biased when I say that. Uh, that being said, however, the rest of the show is is great. Absolutely picks up from there. It nails all the plot points it needs to hit. Um, I feel like the music's really good. They continue to do a unique ending theme with animation for each of the 12 episodes, which seems a little excessive to me, but I think it really drives home just how inspirational Chainsaw Man has been, uh, honestly. I would think with the... even I'm a, I'm a little surprised you're calling it excessive because I would think as a Sakuga fan and really interested in different animation styles, uh, having like different animation openings with different songs would be of interest uh, to you. Yeah, I mean, the the, well, the, the endings. The, the opening is the same, and the opening is great, by the way. It's basically one big parody of a bunch of movies. Mm. Uh, there's people that have broke down each of the references there, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But the endings, oh, absolutely. Like, they go... <laughs> I do... <laughs> part of me wishes they had maybe spent a little less money and time on the what, 12 endings we got and spent more on the show itself, but maybe that's a little unfair to say. Um, it, it's probably... I've seen some people say that it is like we got a music video, an AMV, <laughs> at the end of every episode, and that's fair to say. And they're pretty well done. Uh, the the endings are absolutely well done. Now, the Sakaga in the show, however, 
this is MAPA doing it, and MAPA is both well known for being one of these, these these top studios of the past few years, but also coming under a lot of fire for overworking their staff as well. And a lot of this, a lot of the action scenes are in CG, and you can definitely notice it. To be fair, it's not as um, it's not as distracting as a lot of Japanese CG tends to be. Again, you notice it, but it it works pretty well for what it's doing. I think for a lot of people, and I would say that maybe I'm guilty of this as well, expected a little more Sakaga shit for the popularity of this show. For something that is well regarded as this, I think a lot of us had very high expectations for how the whole thing was going to work. And any, any, like, any underperforming aspect to Chainsaw Man was going to get noticed and called out on, unfortunately. Just how it was because of how hyped this show is. So the hype train like, came back and bit, bit you, basically. I would say at the beginning, uh, a little bit, for sure. I, I, I was late on the train. I had heard a lot of people talk about it, but just never really got around to it. Again, the pandemic was a weird time for everybody. It wasn't until the beginning of this year where I just sat down. I, just, I don't know. I had a hair up my ass, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use the Shonen Jump subscription that I paid you know, for and rarely ever use. And I burned through Chainsaw Man in a, in a week, in about a week's time, uh, maybe less than that. But really wanted to finally get it out of, out of my system because of how much it had been talked about. Hmm. And uh, yeah, once you kind of get over that initial expectation issue... It was is great, you know. It it still is a solid show, a great show. It 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 does not finish the story, of course. At this rate, we're getting we're definitely getting a second season, most likely a third season, to finish this first quote unquote part of Chainsaw Man. And I think, I mean, hell, I've already seen people talk about this being one of the most watched shows, TV shows, not just anime, television program for this season in particular in America. So. Again, as I predicted, this is going to be the Zoomer Devil Man, a huge landmark series, not completely unlike, you know, Gundam or Evangelion, for instance, of their time. Uh, Chainsaw mm-hmm. Man, we're going to continue to see just being as impactful as those shows uh, going forward. Yeah, it's always interesting to see what shows kind of click outside the anime bubble. And mm-hmm. it's it happens every couple of years, like... Maybe like 10 years ago, it was the first season of Attack on Titan. I'd say Death Note was something that kind of went outside the anime bubble. So, yeah. Uh, Supposedly, it's, it's, I just saw this chart recently. I don't know exactly where it's from, but our boy Monkey D. Luffy is one of the top TV characters from the past year as well. I saw you know that. that. <laughs> I saw that. And it was like him with Michael Scott from The Office. And, yeah. I had, and I had to go like, huh, <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I I don't know how it happened or what this, you know, I'm a little doubting because this is also, I'm looking at it now and it has um, Cillian Murphy from Peaky Blinders, uh, Jenna Ortega from Wednesday, the new Netflix Wednesday spinoff. It's like, huh, are these really those big characters? How is How is Michael Scott still relevant? To be in the top five uh, in 2022 makes, makes me scratch my head. Because <laughs> uh, Office is next gen Seinfeld, basically. 
because it's just it airs nonstop on like Comedy Central and on streaming. So, but uh, uh, maybe One Piece will will finally usurp the office, and we can get a new generation <laughs> to post endless. Uh, One Piece memes, reaction that, memes everywhere. That Netflix show is going to bring One Piece to the masses, right? It's going <laughs> <laughs> to... Oh, we can only hope. We can, we can only hope. But uh, to wrap up our Chainsaw Man discussion, I'm going to be interested with my thoughts going in because I, I have not read the manga. I don't really know a lot about it, so I'm going in pretty blind. Uh, like I, I know let, he let, turns. Let me ask you what, what, what did you, what did you think about the first episode you watched? Did it just not grab you, or were you behind on stuff and just never got around to it? I got behind on it. I, I want to watch it because of just the notoriety it has, um, mm-hmm. and I want to read the manga. But just with, I got distracted by other things as I usually do, and um, right. I thought the first episode was was fine. Like it didn't it didn't blow me away. I thought. The guy who is Chainsaw Man himself um, seemed like kind of a passive character uh, for the most part. So I'll be interested to see if his personality changes or how how he interacts with other people. Because in the first episode, all he does is he's working for the for the mafia, and then the mafia betrays him and saying like, "Nah, we're just gonna kill you." And then he goes on his killing spree big spoiler and basically sets up the new status quo for now but uh i thought it was fine it didn't blow me away and I, as i've heard with the manga the manga is also a bit of a slow build and it doesn't get really crazy until later it's it's kind of um it always seems to be the way man? yeah like I, I i know at least in the first volume or so like it's building and things get um more let me put it like this. I mean, there there is there is some pacing issues in the Chainsaw Man manga, for sure. I would agree with that. However, as someone that watches One Piece, you know, you, you and as someone who has read One Piece, a lot of One Piece this year, um, the whole thing is like 79 chapters, something like right under 80 chapters. So it is something you can easily burn through in a weekend if you try. <laughs> oh, I bet I bet I could. Like I talked to Austin about it, and he basically said, "Like what makes Chainsaw Man so fast to read is it's a lot of high octane action set pieces in the manga. So there's not it's it's not a lot of dialogue back and forth. So because it's so action oriented, that makes the reading go a lot faster. A One Piece fan could easily eat through Chainsaw Man like it was nothing. <laughs> oh, I bet." But I just I heard the beginning part was a little slow, but maybe I misheard. So, but I'll be interested to eventually check it out. I'm interested to hear what your take will be on both Makima and Power. Uh, I think <laughs> you're going to find that pretty interesting as it as it progresses. I, I'm going to move. Let's move on to a show that's probably not as in your face action, but maybe just as I guess stressful would be uh, Blue Lock. <laughs> so Blue Lock is a soccer sports anime, but what made it interesting to me was they basically said, let's combine a soccer anime with a Battle Royale-like twist, or I guess a modern reference would be something like Squid Games, where the basic gist of Blue Lock is Blue Lock is a program set up by the Japanese government 
where the ultimate goal is to find the ultimate striker for the Japanese national team. Because the theory is, if we have the ultimate striker, then he will lead us to ultimate glory. It's kind of like, if you have the one shining generational uh, player on your team, whether that be uh, uh, Messi in soccer, or Pele, or in basketball uh 90s jordan or yeah the the japanese tom brady that's what you're telling yeah yeah yeah, japanese tom brady uh that that one person alone can lead to ultimate victory and basically they draft all these different soccer players from across japan and are forced to live in this kind of cubicle like setting where they have to do multiple tests to progress in the Blue Lock program. And everyone, as in most sports anime, have like a special ability that they're really good at, whether that's spatial awareness or dribbling or passing the ball or their speed. I was a bit surprised with kind of the theory that the show progresses because basically everyone on each team is in it for themselves, but they still have to work as a team in order to progress, at least in this section that they adapted. So it was an interesting balance because you're trying to do well as a team, but you also want to score on your own and get high marks as an individual in order for you to progress. And there's people that could, on your own team, that could underhand you and try and underscore the team so that way they can do better. So I thought it was an interesting dynamic that I enjoyed quite a lot. I also kind of liked the breaking of the facade when you have that desire of, I want this desperately. Because in the first episode, they introduced this kind of very friendly, very personable guy. And then when we we see him lose early on, he just basically breaks down and the facade goes away to reveal like what he really wanted was to keep progressing and screw everybody else. So... As kind of a bit of a psychology in the show, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, the show kind of ends on like a uh, cliffhanger. I'd be interested to see another season. I think we'll get one, but who knows with anime. But I quite enjoyed it as a sports as sports anime. I'm I'm not the hugest soccer fan in the world, um, and I've never really watched the other probably big soccer franchise, Captain Tsubasa. But I quite enjoyed Blue Lock. And uh, if they do another season, I'd be really into it. How do you, how do you think they handled the, the like the death game aspect of this? It, it's such a weird idea to me that they would do this. Did, did it feel like you really captured the dread of who was going to be cut out as well as something like Squid Game did? I should say there's no like violent acts done to the soccer players. I, I meant more in terms of atmosphere because... They're always on edge of just, we have to, we have to always keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Where there's no, there's no, oh, we got second place. The show is really good about building the tension of like, we have to beat this team or else we're not able to progress. Or we, there's this one ultimate player that they have on the other team that is really good in scoring all the goals. Oh no, what are we going to do? But I guess why I kind of compared it to Battle Royale is just the environment, because they're completely isolated. Uh, Like, they're basically in this giant facility with this one kind of guy running it, 
where he can pop up on a TV screen and say, okay, you have a soccer match in five minutes, let's go. And everyone is has to be cautious of each other because they can work with you so that way the team does well. Or they can underhand you and focus on their own individual scoring, which the highest scorer of the team gets to progress and every other member, if they lose, gets eliminated. So it's that back and forth and that tension of just like, oh no, what are we going to do? And who's going to, how are we going to work as a team when everyone is so focused on their own individual goal? It is interesting to see this this popular new format, the idea of the death game, get adapted to other, other shows that aren't quite the same thing. Seems to be a very popular thing over the past few years. So, kind of wonder if we'll see more of this. What's next? Uh, Death game idols. <laughs> I I had to say I'd, I'd be kind of interested to see how that would be executed. <laughs> <laughs> you get a bunch of idols on an island, and if they don't make it the round, they get that's it. No more idols. Uh, no, you cannot join this premier uh, manage, manager group that that immediately takes whoever joins them to the top. I'm sorry, the, the, the word is graduate, right? If you don't pass around, you graduate. Yes, exactly. You, 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 you graduate to the nether realm beyond the world of <laughs> idols. <laughs> they cast you aside into the dark fog of graduation. Uh, just like they do in Blue Lock, where they will, they cast you aside into the great beyond, beyond the Blue Lock campus. <laughs> But uh, I, so let's move on to something a bit lighter that could also probably deal in a in a death maybe a, a deadly game of uh, of spy versus spy, which is uh, the continuation of Spy Family. <laughs> So, Tobias, you didn't watch this next part of Spy Family, correct? Yeah, this was the one that I just didn't have time for. Uh, season one was okay, and I read up to past... Uh, I read in the manga past where season two ended. So I'm already caught up, and it's fine, but this Spy Family, I think, is the thing for me that I just need to watch not week to week. Because it's just not enough meat there for me. It is, it's a lot of sugarcoating, a lot of fluffy you know, stuff, which people love. It's part of the appeal. I totally get that. I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm already kind of burnt out on Spy Family, <laughs> despite <laughs> it only being like a this year thing. I think maybe what doesn't help, I, I, this this season, real this. I don't know if, if I should call it a season or this core of the of this season, is basically it hammered home to me, just like, oh yeah, Spy Family is not about continuation of the story or the plot it's it's very character 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 because a lot of the episodes were basically giving a shine to the cast of spy family like becky who is anya's best friend gets like an episode where they go shopping 
and nothing really happens, but it's it's a lot of character moments between the two of them and showing their friendship and seeing how Becky treated people before. Like, that's interesting character stuff, but if you're interested in the actual, like, the spy plot part, you're not going to get that here. It's it's more focused on character and the comedy aspect of it. But I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Like, it's it was just a fun turn your brain off comedy like and i loved all the character moments like when bond the the, the dog chewed up anya's uh penguin and they basically oh, they did that they did yeah they did that episode or that chapter of the manga and uh it was just very sweet and just bond's reactions of just like oh no <laughs> Uh, or him coming into her room, giving her pe- a bag of peanuts, is like, oh, <laughs> he's he's trying. <laughs> is that, is uh, that something that uh, your dogs did when they they almost broke your hand? No, they, they more like looked at me and said, uh, you, "You still alive? We don't, we don't want to yeah, leave you. Own, <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to leave you." So, but uh, it it was very sweet and. and uh, Made me made me want to uh, give my dogs a hug, though the real star of of this season, the second core, uh, was the tennis tournament arc. That was like Birdie Wings level of absurdity <laughs> that they had that that Lloyd and his other agent Nightfall had to go through. Uh, I loved the absurdity of it because it just kept reminding me of Birdie Wing. And make me want to have Birdie Wing back now. Because they had to get this painting in this underground tennis tournament. And the tennis tournament is really shady. And they do all kinds of tricks on the tennis court using technology. So that way the other team can win. (laughs) And I I just love kind of the absurdity of it. Also, I'm going to get this out of the way. Nightfall was amazing. Uh, Why? You ask, she had a great voice. And two, any character that has over-the-top fantasy sequences in their head of like what they wish things to be gets bonus points because that's always hilarious. And I always love that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, um, people. Nightfall is, is the best girl of Spy Family at this moment, according to Bill of this podcast. Those scorching hot takes once again on the third Impact Anime podcast. Exactly. Look out! I'm coming for you with my hot takes. I'm interested to, to eventually see those parts. Um, those were those were really interesting uh, segments as well. Both the Bond. I, I really like that they gave him a voice and actually had a person <laughs> say "Borf" <laughs> for this. And uh, yeah, the tennis arc was pretty pretty fun as well in the manga. So. Excited to check that out and to see how it progresses from here. I think I'm uh, in the manga. I'm uh, like maybe an arc or two after that, where they're on the mm. boat. They're basically on a boat, not giving too much away. Uh, they get on a boat trip. Uh, yeah, I think just if it, it, it's one of those things where if you read the manga, I think it, it hampers your enjoyment of the series because it takes so long to get what we get in a few pages. It just feels like mm. it's a lot more clippy. In, in, in the uh, the original work, and even then, people were complaining about how the story doesn't really progress. It's just a vessel to tell school jokes, 
Which, I mean, is is kind of fine. I can understand the complaints, but for me, it's it's so easy just to burn through the manga. I didn't care as much. Definitely came into a B when I was having to watch thirty minute episodes for this stuff. But I would argue that if you're wanting a spy thing, like that's not the pre- that that's the flavor of the show, but that's not the goal of the show. <laughs> Uh, you need to you need to look elsewhere if you're looking for something that's 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 more hard hitting spy spy centric. Yeah, I I would recommend other shows. I will would you say, recommend Buddy Daddies is coming out now. <laughs> I vaguely, spy classroom. Oh yeah. So so already another thing. This is another impact of Spy Family is that there's already two shows out that are blatant ripoffs of the premise. There's Buddy Daddies, uh, which is two spy roommates uh, adopt a little girl, so they have to raise her, just like Anya. <laughs> and there's another spy show, like Spy Classroom, which uh, it's a bunch of high school girls that are also spies or something. Uh, it just looks kind of generic. So it's, it's, I think it's kind of funny that, like these other shows have spawned like copycats over the years, like Isekai. Isekai is everywhere. Are we going to see spy stories? Is that going to be the new trend? I mean, that's that's a common occurrence in media of just like, well, something hit. We should we should try create our own. So, I mean, going back to James Bond, like after James Bond really hit, the spy craze was a huge thing in the 1960s where everyone tried to copy the Bond formula. And usually those clones kind of die out. Although I do find the title of Spy Classroom funny because I'm thinking it's a mixture of Spy Family and Assassination Classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Spy Assassination Classroom. Yeah. I will say, I know you didn't watch uh, Spy Family this season, but you need to check out the opening and ending uh, animations because they're gorgeous to look at. Especially the opening. I thought just in terms of the detail... In the opening animation is, is gorgeous to look at, so I highly recommend those as an animation fan. Didn't they? They have um. There's two studios working on this show. There's Wit and I'm looking Clo- at Studio Cloverworks. Cloverworks, right, right. So I was reading an article. I think it was on the Sakaga blog back in season one that they actually handed this each episode off to each other. So one studio did the odd episodes and one studio did the even episodes. I thought that was a really interesting way to handle it. I kind of like that because based off that idea, you shouldn't have crunch maybe as much because you're cycling off and you're not having to put the team. The team has a bit of a cushion uh, to get what they need to get done. But again, who who knows? Um, yeah, it becomes- I have to follow up on that to see if there's a lot more discussion because, again, with this Chainsaw Man was one studio, even though it was MAPPA, even though it's been in planning for a year now, I think they have one particular style that is just kind of theirs that you can understand with Spy Family mm-hmm. since you've got both studios here working together. Kind of interesting see how that worked out. Well, probably what happened is they shared talent to go back and forth between the studios because a lot of studios are just logos and recruiting a team every single show. So, who exactly knows? Mm. I will say they already announced a season two for 2023 and a movie. 
And my wonder is the pacing of the anime is relatively slow. And I'm wondering, are they going to have enough material to keep it going? Because eventually they're going to hit it. They're going to hit a stopgap where where you've run out of material to adapt. And the, with these types of franchises, it gets to the point where we got to keep the gravy train rolling. Are they going to, like, let's create our own filler. Let's get a writing team and create our own original Spy Family Adventures. Because I know the manga's been going for a while, but it's not that long, relatively correct. Oh yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's a hundred chapters yet. I'd have to look it up, but you're you're right in that it moves a little slower. A lot of the little chapters they've got on the Shonen Jump app are actually just little one pages illustrations as well. So yeah, I completely agree. If they're gonna keep animating this as the TV show, they're gonna run into that classic scenario that happens with so many anime, where they're gonna have to either make stuff up or just keep it on pause for a bit. While the manga catches up, yeah, and I imagine the movie is going to be a standalone anime original adventure, like a lot of the shonen movies are. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious how they're going to keep the, this train rolling because eventually they're going to they're going to run out of material. I, I do believe that the movie is going to be completely original. I, I recall somebody saying that, uh, you know, not not unlike the um, the My Hero movies that are mm-hmm. all original uh, completely, which honestly to me is a good thing. I feel like spy family really shines through in the one shot scenarios they have, uh, you know, like in the first season where they go to the, the penguin, the penguin place. <laughs> is it, is it an aquarium? They got, it's an aquarium, right? Yeah. It's an aquarium. It happens to be penguins. There. So they go to the aquarium. That was just a one shot in the original and it was hilarious. I don't, and the, you mentioned the, um, the one where bond chews the penguin up. Uh, that was also just like a one shot scenario in uh in the original so i'm glad to see those get adaptations they didn't they didn't animate the part where your gets her butt hurt did they so um, there's there's uh, a point there's there's a, a there's one another one shot where not to give too much away but your gets her butt hurt they go to a restaurant and anya does a little spy thing by herself and like hmm. the, the joke is that like I don't know, yours ass like hers the whole time. <laughs> I don't remember the exact context, but it was no. that's my favorite chapter individually just because there's so many jokes that land and Anya doing a little spy thing by herself. Just it worked out. It just encapsulated the spy family charm to me in the no. one. So I, what what happened a lot in these episodes is there would basically be like two stories per per episode because uh based on what you're telling me, the the stories were like these one page one shots. So they would basically take a one page one shot and make it a segment of the set episode. Like the bond, the bond segment with, um, him making up with Anya. And that whole thing was kind of a coda to one episode and probably took up maybe like 15 or maybe like 10, 10 minutes, something like that. I really like those. I'm really excited to see what the movie does just because it's all new. Mm-hmm. I will. I will definitely check the movie out when it comes out. I'm, I'm there. I'm there for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I imagine Crunchyroll will do their usual mass release like they did for One Piece, or uh, maybe do a Fathom event. I don't know. And that'll be fun to go see the Spy Family movie in theaters when that eventually arrives. Oh yeah. So, 
One series I know that you're really happy to see come back was Pop Team Epic came back for another season. Oh, yeah. So I can't remember if I'm sure we talked about it forever ago when it came out originally. Maybe it was on that horrendous three hour episode we did a while <laughs> back. But yeah, Pop Team Epic ruled, man. It was one of the one of my favorites from 2018 or so. Nothing quite like it at all. And uh, this kind of snuck up on me because I hadn't really considered them doing more ever. I think I had heard them mention it before. There was a brief period they were doing like the OVAs, right? There was like a Final Fantasy 15 OVA. Yeah, they were basically hired out by other companies to make kind of OVA shorts for them, like uh, Final Fantasy, uh, Squeenix asked them to do one, and then a racing company in Japan asked them to mm-hmm. do one that we've never gotten here. But yeah, they've they've done some sporadic things here and there. I just, I don't think I ever actually sat down. I think maybe you showed me the FF15 one at some point. I just, I considered Popping Up to be a perfect standalone show and never bothered to go back. So I was a little hesitant. Were they able to recapture that magic for season two? Or is it just going to be really unfunny and played out? No, it was hilarious. Season two is just as good as season one, I would say. They brought back some of the best segments. They We've continued to see more of the Shota Aoi-verse with the <laughs> very strange opening and ending to the season. Uh, they brought Hellshake Yano back and the AC Boo guys to do a little like flipbook manga. Well, I shouldn't say little flipbook manga. It was a big flipbook manga. Uh, and it took segment. up the whole episode. Like oh, they're so good. Where they basically got their own episode. <laughs> and they did it twice. So, of course, the joke from Pop Team Epic is that they replay the, the same segment twice with both male and female voice actors. However, on that episode where they do the Hellshake Yano, they didn't just repeat the footage. They are actually doing that twice. Back <laughs> to back. Insane. Wow. They ex- yeah. I didn't know it at first, but you go back and you watch, and there's differences. Like, the paper doesn't flap the same way. It is wild. I don't know if they did it literally back-to-back without edits. There is a point where they could have, you know... I don't see any seams, but they could have been some seams. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I won't quite say they did that. But they still recorded the whole thing twice. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. it was. There's just so many great segments on here. There's, of course, with, with season one, there are little skits that don't quite land, little too Japanesey, too uh, odd, too oddball. I think there were maybe a few too many. Uh, well, the, the big thing here is they, they worked with Square Enix again to do a lot of jokes, mostly around Final Fantasy XIV, which, if you don't know, is the critically acclaimed MMORPG, now with a free trial that includes the award-winning Heavensward expansion with no restrictions on playtime. And don't forget, if you want to hear more about Final Fantasy XIV, I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this show, Tobias, called the uh, What show? Grand, Grand Line Reborn? It's, no, tell me I, about it. You know, it's, it's the show where I explore Final Fantasy XIV for the first time, and you explore One Piece? It's, it's, I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah, interesting. Huh, I might want to check that out. Uh, now available on all your podcatchers. Uh, but I think that uh, I think maybe the FF14 segment there are probably maybe one or two too many of them. I, I say this, I know this heresy as a uh, 
a current subscriber. But they also had a lot of, like, there was the Portopia murder case thing from the old NES era, and they included as well. Uh, we had some JRPG stuff in the first season, too, you know. We had the, uh, I think, Seiken Densetsu 3 joke. There was the Donkey Kong Country segment as well. So, like, weird video game references are not unknown to Pop Team Epic. And they certainly included them here. I think the coolest thing for me was I love that they got prominent Japanese seiyus from other franchises. Like, for the first, I think it's the first episode of season two, they got um, the voice of Haruhi Aiharano, and they got mm-hmm. um, one of the other major characters from Haruhi, and they, and um, to do you the look voice. It up. I know that I. I know that I put it in the chat. It was fun week to week to see what they, uh, who they used. Because there mm-hmm. were, there's usually jokes. The pairing usually, there are people that have been in stuff together before. So this was Aihirano and Minori Chihara. And the cool, and I liked that at the end of each episode, they would have a bit where it would look like, uh, the main characters of Pop Team Epic talking, talking to each other, but it's basically the voice actors talking to each other at the end. And it was kind of sweet seeing uh, the two actresses from Are You Going? It's, oh, it's so good to work with you again, and it's been too long. And I thought that was very sweet. And like you said, it was always fun to see what pairing they would get. And you would always get interesting pairings. So if you're into Japanese seiyus, you'll really enjoy... Uh, who they get for Pop Team Epic. Didn't they get um, the Yakuza guys? Oh, oh, man, I can't even remember their names anymore. Oh, um, the voices of uh, Kazuma Kiryu and Majima? Is that who you're Kiryu, about? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they got Kiryu and uh, Majima in one episode. I think we did get we did get Solid Snake and Raiden's voice actors at one point. There's an extended... Um, basically a Gao Gaigar Sunrise reference with the biggest huge guys transformation that I think mm-hmm. also used some of the Gao Gaigar uh, VAs. There's a lot of really, really obscure jokes with the pairings that you wouldn't know unless you're a turbo nerd. Uh, the <laughs> same type of turbo nerd that enjoys uh, Pop Team Epic. I also liked that they kind of went crazy with the the Arya Shota stuff where the, in the first season it was in the vein of like a uh, romance comedy anime that you get every <laughs> uh, every preview which I loved and this they went full tokusatsu TV series which I did not expect where the final episode is basically a full tokusatsu episode with the main villain being TM Revolution, which <laughs> was uh, quite a surprise. More shockingly, he was on screen with his shirt on, which he never keeps on, even though he's like in his 50s now. Uh, that that man is ripped. So for them to get him to keep the shirt on was quite an astounding feat. Didn't they? I think there wasn't even a joke as part of that, though, because they had... He, let's see, I have to look at it right quick. They had they had an actor that has a name that was voiced by somebody else that has that exact same name. 
I have to look it up because it was so it was so wild that they did such a thing that I guess that just that just hammers home just like I I love how nerdy Pop Team Epic can get and just how like so many references and so many things interconnected into things that are just straight absurd. Uh, okay, here just, we go. So we have we have um, the live actor Yuichi Nakamura was voiced by Yuichi Nakamura, another person completely that has the same name as him. <laughs> that's the type of shit that this show is on. Like completely, completely weird jokes that you wouldn't get unless you, you know, already knew that kind of shit. Mm. The Sentai stuff is completely off the wall. Like, the end of the first season ends with Shotawe doing some time travel stuff. And the show Gal and Dino, which came out, I think, in 2020, they kind of brought that back a little bit uh, to sort of connect these two for some reason. And now we have it continue with a full-on, note-perfect common Rider impersonation. Like, it is... I don't watch a whole lot of Soku stuff myself, and I've only seen a handful of common Rider episodes across all of the different series but it just felt completely true to life and you can tell that these people like loved loved being part of this and with uh, enjoy the parody for what it was with an amazing song too that i don't know who's editing this pod but that that song needs to go in this episode at some point because it's, <laughs> it's 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 too it's too good <laughs> Yeah, I could I could talk about Pop Team Epic all day with all the segments like uh, Pop Team Epic and Pop Team Epic B-Side was pretty was pretty <laughs> oh, yeah the, the 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 male b-side those were pretty fun those were tons of fun um so yeah go check out pop to mythic if you are an animation nerd or you just you're just a nerd in general you probably are a nerd listening to this podcast go go check out pop to mythic it's great i'm glad that you know a few years ago when the first season came out it seemed like no one was really was really into it it seemed like it was just me doing my own thing. So I'm glad that, like, what, four years later, I finally converted Bill over to the church of Popco and PPV. <laughs> yes, uh, I I uh, have my Pop Team Epic book every time I go to the church, ready to read my Pop Team Epic scripture, and then get a bunch <laughs> of middle fingers in front of my face. So... As as it should be. <laughs> so we're gonna take a complete left turn from Pop Team Epic, and we're gonna talk about DIY do it yourself.
Yeah, so I came into this for the same reason that you know, the last show we'll talk about, that a lot of soccer people were talking about it initially, just showing clips of these particular cuts that seemed really interesting. It seemed to be something that's getting a lot of buzz. So I just sort of randomly checked it out. I don't really watch Yashike sort of stuff. I don't really have the time to fit something filler like this. But why not? People on the internet were talking about it. They were saying good things about it, which is better than most things on the internet, if we're being honest. Uh, yeah, DIY Do It Yourself is about a DIY club in a girl's high school. It has an elected crew of, um, I say, should say it has an elected cast of characters. They have the main girl that's kind of this klutz that just wants to basically get a new hobby. We've got her best friend that's kind of a, a standoffy Sundera type that sort of thinks herself better and above do it yourself and crafty crafty things. Uh, we have the leader of the club that's trying to, to salvage it because there's like nobody, no members have joined. And then later we have the like tech billionaire girl, foreign girl from America that shows up with all her technology. Jabako. speaking. Jabako, yeah. She uh she she does she barely speaks Japanese. A lot of it is like broken English she's trying to speak that works out to be pretty adorable, I'll say. And a cat ninja girl as well. <laughs> the uh the the main joke, however, is there's the uh the, the, the main girl, the, the klutz. Her name is uh her 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 given name is Serf. And her family name is Yua. So in Japanese, it is Yourself. Get it? Because the show is called Do It Yourself. <laughs> I I loved all the... I, I knew they were cheesy, but I loved all the little nicknames they gave everybody. Like uh, the, the tech uh, Western billionaire is called Jabako because she likes to say good job a lot. Or how her best friend is named Pudding. For some reason. <laughs> well, they, they call her Purin, P-U-R-I-N. But because Jabko is not a very good Japanese speaker, she just says Pudding. <laughs> <laughs> or the library girl's name is, her nickname is, is, I think it's called Takamine. Takamine, yeah, that's right. Well, I got names correct. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, the show itself is, it's, it's, it's fluff. It really is. Like, if we're being honest, it is a cute show about high school girls just doing, like, hobby stuff. It's in the vein of, like, a K-On. Like, did you watch K-On? Did you enjoy the cute girls doing cute things and just the the fun character dynamics of K-On? You probably will like DIY do-it-yourself a lot. Because it's very much in that same vein. Which makes DIY different, I think, is I the animation style is very interesting, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of the color palette and in terms of the kind of just the look of the show. It's not your your general look you'd see in an anime, which was really interesting to see. Absolutely, and that's really what brought me into it. Is that the the animators had a lot of fun making this for sure. I completely agree that the style does not look that similar. I mean, these are. And it's, it's an isekai. It's, it's, a guy. it's an ayashike. 
uh, healing show. It's yeah, they're, they're kind of there, but there's a lot of scenes that really just stand out as being Sakaga Sakaga fest, and I think that was enough to hook me in. But I kept watching it just because of how charming everything was. The characters are all great. I love just spending a little bit of time with these uh, these goofballs every week. I liked seeing the little issues they would have by getting the club together and keeping it, even though they were pretty low stakes. Like, like the what the the last few episodes, the big thing is, oh no, all their building supplies get were thrown away by accident. Whatever are they going to do? <laughs> like that's the most. That was the the largest stakes of the entire twelve episodes. Was they have to get a bunch of donations to continue their big project. <laughs> Yeah, this this show isn't built on drama, really. It's more just fun character dynamics, and I think that type of show has has its place in the anime landscape. Like something something very similar in that vein is like Laid Back Camp. Like the stakes for Laid Back Camp are extremely low, but what makes that show sing so well is when it has great animation, and two is just the character interactions back and forth are just really charming. And I think that's the same thing for DIY Do-It-Yourself. It's just the character dynamics. Everyone is a quirky character. And just their back and forth is just really cute. And I also really like that this show basically says, we're done. Kind of, basically. Where at the end, everyone goes on their own. Like, they accomplish their goal. And... They they kind of move on. There's no there's not going to be a continuation. There's not going to be, or at least from what we know now, it's it's not going to just keep going and going. And I like that it just kind of had a, like a a very satisfying ending. Yeah, this is not something that is going to continue. I don't think we'll ever see season two of DIY. It didn't need it. It has a satisfying conclusion. I, I, on the one hand, I would love to see more of these characters. I, I wouldn't mind. But it wrapped up their plot completely and totally. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. Yeah, and I'm, I feel like I got my fill of those characters. I enjoyed my time with them. And um, maybe I'll revisit them one day. But I, I think it, I, I liked its self-contained nature. Which I really appreciate because everything has to be a franchise at this at this point. Everything has to keep going and going and going. I think it'll be so. interesting maybe in a year or two if I revisit this. I don't tend to revisit a lot of shows, especially when I'm really done with them. But this is something I could see maybe breaking out, even getting a disc for, you know, God forbid, and just putting on to watch, just to revisit again. It was, I mean, you see, the, you heard of the already Ashike healing series. This really felt like that. It was a, a great way for me every week just to relax a little bit watch this low stakes popcorn show unfold yeah i i think i would probably get if this does get a disc release which who knows how things go at crunchyroll i would totally get this because this is something that probably i would just put on a random episode in the background as background noise and enjoy it and like look at maybe one scene and go oh that's cute and just kind of enjoy it in the background as like a as like a comfort show so Absolutely. Well, let's let's move on to our to our next show. This kind of fits more into the uh, the revival and the non-ending sequels that we that seem to be more common these days. But we got a reboot 
of USA Yasuda. show that that has a very strong following and was very big in the 80s and uh Mamoru Oshii directed the original series at least the first half and uh we reviewed uh, Beautiful Dreamer on the podcast a long time ago so and this series is being done by David Productions mostly known for their fantastic work on the JoJo Bizarre Adventure franchise so exactly Tobias, how much of uh, this reboot have you checked out? Well, I've caught up with that. Unlike a lot of the other shows, this is not a split season. It is continuing. And I just noticed uh, at the time of this recording that the next episode for, I guess, the second core, they're not really calling it season two, is already out. So it's cool to see this continue straight on through, I assume, 26 or more episodes. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I think the main thing with this, with being such a classic series, is that they don't try to... They, How should I put this? They have modernized the animation and the design, but not the source material, not the writing itself. The, the jokes and everything therein still feel very much like something you would read in a, a manga from the 70s or the 80s. And they they can be a little dated for sure, but they are not quite as Bill would usually say yuck yuck <laughs> level of uh, I mean some some of the material is similar to that, but I feel like they have made the jokes funny in a way that uh, funny in a modern setting, a modern context that doesn't feel exactly cheesy. Do you do you agree with that, Bill? Do you think they have successfully made the jokes funny, or do you think that it's kept the same goofy yuck yuck humor. Like a lot of anime comedies for me, USA Yatsura, the reboot, has been kind of hit or miss for me. Like sometimes I think something's really funny and sometimes I'm like, eh, I didn't care for that. Um, I don't knock the show for its sense of humor because it's a more faithful adaptation of the original source material because in the original Mamoru Oshii and the original... A studio, which I think it was Studio Pero, kind of went, did things in their own direction and kind of did things their own way, which the original creator was not a big fan of, whereas this is a very faithful adaptation of the original manga. And it showed, the humor does show its age a bit. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that's, I'm just stating as it is. Um, so it's kind of up and down for me. I will say, I'd, one highlight for me is I love the color palette that David Productions put on this show. Like the animation for it is great. I think it's got a very vibrant uh, aesthetic to it and uh, very pleasing to the eye. I will say, I unlike you, I am behind. I think for me, I can kind of zone out on comedies, so <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like I'm in, I, I'm enjoying it. But I'm not like, I have to check this out every week. 
Um, if I recall, well, you're not you're not usually a big anime comedy guy, so the fact that you're watching this at all is a win, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I appreciate the source material, and I can kind of just kind of roll my eyes at certain things. And like huh. I said before, it's it's up and down for me. Like sometimes I think it's really good, and sometimes I'm just kind of just shaking my head, going, "Of course." <laughs> so, but I I do appreciate that it's very faithful to the look of the original series and that it's going to just see i think it's like a full um like 40 or 50 episode series and it's just going to run throughout most of the year uh i think my only kind of real knock against it is i don't like at least as of this recording the first opening (laughs) um it's 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 very it's a very modern opening it's a, for lack of a better description, it's a very anime opening uh, in terms of the song, and I think I would have since this is a more faithful adaptation. It'd be cool if they went back to those original songs and just said we're gonna do a remake of them, because you're that's that's what you're basically doing with this this series is you're remaking the manga to the T. So why not do the songs? Like it's not like they don't have the rights to it because that first song that's in the original series has been used as kind of incidental music in the background of this reboot. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see, like, get a modern J-pop star to sing that song. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I gotta unfortunately agree with you there. Uh, I was not a fan of the opening intro of songs. I think it was uh, uh, Maison, Maison Day, a group that it it did both of those and I I just I don't know I just I guess I wasn't a fan of the singer's voice maybe something about it didn't really resonate with me and I think it it I think maybe it just hurts worse because Lum's Love Song and some of the other openings have been so well known like you mentioned that to not have it to have something that doesn't sound quite what wanted makes it off-putting I guess I like the opening animation. I'll say that. Mm. Yeah, like, like I said, like the anim- David Productions, as per usual, not as knocked it out of the park. I have no problems with the animation. I think the opening animation is great. It's just, I think I would have liked something more of a retro song, or we go back and kind of remake these classic songs that are so tied to the original series. So right off the bat, I I haven't looked at it yet, but I did skim through the episode that came out today, and there seems to be a new opening animation. So we'll have to see later if it if it is better or worse than the first season. And uh, one thing I also want to point out for the first opening animation was that there's a lot of fun throwbacks there. There are segments where they show the manga, some panels from original manga. They show parts from all of the Odyssey Yatsura video games that came out on the Game Boy, Nintendo, and, and what have you. And uh, there's a lot of... this the one time that we see, like, cell phones in the show. Like, the show itself takes place in the 80s when the original manga, you know, took place. But the opening has, like, cell phones and, and Tinder and whatnot. But to see all of that come into play for a fun opening, I think worked really well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, do you have anything else to add about USA Yatsura, or can we...
No, I think it's great. I would I would hope people, more people check it out. It's a classic for a reason. I think if nothing else, everyone knows who Lum is. She's just sort of the anime queen. I should add, it is quite funny that with Lum kind of coming back, I based on like charts and stuff you see on different websites, I thought she would be, because usually she's very popular and she's like number one, and it's been kind of funny that she's like barely in the top five of like favorite anime girls like i think your is is number one which kind of made me laugh a little bit <laughs> i guess makers can't be choosers i guess so <laughs> uh, i mean i kind of think it's gonna be interesting to see how this series does in the long run because it is like we said the the writing is very old school the visuals are more you know, updated for the most part but they're not really the designs aren't updated. The designs are the same as the Takashi designs have always been. I kind of wonder if this is really going to bring a new generation in or not. Well, it is licensed by Sentai and High Dive, which can is a little harder to gain an audience than if it was on Crunchyroll. Uh, no offense, High Dive. I love your work, and I love what Sentai puts out. But uh, they do have they do have a s- smaller base of of users so and stuff on high dive can kind of get lost in the shuffle unfortunately so uh who who knows i i hope this series even though i kind of have up and down feelings about the comedy gains some traction with newer a newer audience because i think it's 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 timeless or it's timeless for a reason and it's fondly remembered for a reason but uh, let us progress forward with another sort of uh, revival and uh, anniversary project of sorts with Lupin Zero. Now, listeners, you must be shocked that I, Bill, am talking about a Lupin the Third anime. Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. And to be honest, I was surprised that this got announced because very recently we've had Lupin the Third Part 6, which... Honestly, I did not care for. I think it's my least favorite part of every Lupin series, unfortunately. And uh, I was a bit nervous going into Lupin Zero because Part 6 was such a bumpy ride. But, and also because the premise was Lupin the Third younger. Like, at like high school age. I think it's, it's like high school, middle school. But, uh, so I was worried. It's like, oh no, is this going to be like a young blackjack situation? Which didn't really click when that came out. But no, uh, so far it's been great. It's only going to be six episodes. So animation wise, things look pretty good. And it's basically standalone Lupin the Third Adventures so far as a younger Lupin the Third, uh, with uh, a younger, uh, Daisuke Jigen in tow. And I, this is kind of what I wish Part Six would be because Part Six was so mired in like uh, an ongoing story continuity, and I think Lupin works better when each episode is more standalone. And so far, that's that's the case. And I just love all the callbacks. Like they redid all the great uh, original Lupin Part One Green Jacket music. That you hear in like the beginning, like they did a remake of the uh, Lupin the Third bah, bah, song, 
which was so cool to see in all like the scat jazz music that they had in the early part one episodes. So it's a real treat for uh, a Lupin fan like me. I will be honest, I'm a bit behind. I've only seen the first two episodes, but what I've seen so far is is just a lot of fun. And the back and forth between a younger Lupin and a younger Jigen is really fun to see as they're in the beginning stages of their friendship. And uh, just the back and forth between them is really fun. We haven't seen a younger Goemon or Fujiko or Zenigata. I am doubtful we'll see a younger Lupin crew, but I'm potentially, I'd be surprised if, if Goemon didn't show up. But as a hardcore Lupin nerd, uh, this is basically scratching the itch that I wished Part 6 did. And if you are a Lupin the Third fan, I highly recommend it. So what I'm hearing is that you were excited for Lupin X Katsai coming out here shortly, right? Ooh. That, that's a... You know the, the curled monkey uh, wish? That's kind of yeah, what... The monkey's paw. <laughs> the monkey's paw, yeah. That's kind of what Lupin Katsai is, where that's such a good idea. But in terms of the animation style for that... That's not looking so good based off the previews because it's very CG focused. I don't know who did it, but if someone told me Soul Digital Arts or Polygon Pictures did it, I would not be surprised. I'm going to watch it because it is a leaf from the third thing, but I am very nervous about it. <laughs> and it, it bums me out because this would be the second crossover that they did that just didn't hit the mark. Because they did Lupin, Detective Conan, and especially the Conan Lupin special, the TV special, was pretty bad. So, (laughs) who knows how that's going to go. Also, Amazon exclusive, which is weird. Did not see that coming for Lupin vs. Cat's Eye. But, uh, who knows. You can, but you can catch, so far, the, the very good Lupin Zero on High Dive. Well, Bella, it sounds like you hate more modern Lupin than you like. Are you even a Lupin fan anymore? <laughs> Maybe I'm becoming those curmudgeon fans of like, it's not how they did it back in like the 1980s. <laughs> Lupin uh, was better back in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> uh, those 90 TV specials were so good. People should check those out instead. <laughs> uh, nah, I'm cool with whatever Lupin does. It's cool to see that he's keeps getting projects and there's always going to be up and down with Lupin the third and I'm up I'm here for the ups and I'm here for the downs so we'll we'll see where it goes there there's there's been some mediocre there's been a lot more mediocre than outright bad I'd rather take mediocre than bad let's move on to a show that I did not know about and I just found it thanks to Crunchyroll that I would say is my dark horse favorite of the season was uh, Raven of the Inner Palace. Raven of the Inner Palace I found really intriguing because it's a mixture of a historical mixed with like a ghost of the week type story. If Tori, if Tori's listening to this, Tori, go check out Raven of the Inner Palace. I think you would dig this show with your love of spooky things because the basic gist of uh, Raven of the Inner Palace, it is set in ancient China, which follows a young girl who has the role of a the raven consort. Now, uh, unlike other consorts, uh, 
the Raven Consort is basically left alone. And the Raven Consort's role overall is kind of kept as a mystery of the show. And uh, the Emperor basically eventually comes to the Raven Consort in need of help because the Raven Consort has the ability to send spirits to the afterlife and deal with ghosts that are haunting the uh, the present day, or the, the modern world. And each episode basically is the Raven Consort is given someone that cannot pass on to the, the great beyond and they have to figure out why that's the case and what is the issue that is a, that is not allowing this person to to pass on and it was a mixture of kind of like case of the week that i enjoyed and also the mystery of like who is the raven concert what was the purpose of the raven concert why is the raven concert kept for the most part separated from the emperor what is the fear of having the Raven Consort have more of a social relationship with people? Why is she kept so isolated? And that mystery I found quite interesting. I, I think also just the setting, which we don't really see, uh, kind of interests me. Because most things are set in either like a futuristic world or it's set in a modern anime high school. So it's being set in ancient China... I thought was quite interesting and just kind of fresh about it. And I enjoyed the the kind of the cases week to week. Um, my only criticism was the show probably has the worst opening song of the season. I just, I just did not like it. And every time I watched an episode, I automatically skipped it every single time. But no, I, I quite enjoyed it. If you like kind of um, a mystery uh, every week, and if you enjoy supernatural elements, I think you would highly enjoy Raven of the Inner Palace, as I did. Tobias, did you did you pass on to the Great Beyond? You you still with me? Yeah, you killed me, man. I'm dead. Oh no! <laughs> come back, Tobias. Come back. Come back. Yeah, I heard. I heard a few people talk about this. I just seems like one of those things. I don't know how to. Maybe one day. But with so much stuff coming out, it's just an unfortunate casualty of so many stacked seasons. So many a season with so many shows coming out. Uh, so shows like this that could be interesting just kind of throw by the wayside. I will say, I this isn't a dig. I don't know if you really dig this show. I think because um, it, it can be very dialogue heavy. So if if dialogue heavy shows kind of put you to sleep. Or kind of zone out on you. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you can get past that, and if you like kind of mystery, and if you like supernatural, I recommend the show. And I quite enjoyed it. I I was excited for an episode every week, and I hope more people check it out or put it on their backlog at the very least. Let's move on to something that's probably a bit more well known, which is the new Gundam series, Gundam: uh, The Witch of Mercury. <laughs> Which is it? The witch of Mercury or the witch from Mercury? The, the the witch from Mercury. The witch from Mercury. And I believe both of us watch uh, the the witch from Mercury. Yeah. So this came out. I mean, I'm not a Gundam fan. I just, I just 
it's hard for me to get into Gundam shows. I don't particularly enjoy what they do generally. Maybe one day I will actually sit down and watch more than a, a few episodes of uh, the OG stuff. Really try to dedicate myself to enjoying this thing that everyone talks about. Uh, so I really wasn't going to watch this initially. I actually thought it was going to be like a, um, oh, what do you call it, the Universal Century? Yeah. I thought it was going to be yeah. a Universal Century show, like an offshoot of Unicorn or something. No clue that it was a, an, an, one of the alternate universe things. And the people were talking about it. I figured, why not? And I came to really kind of dig it. It wasn't my favorite show of the season by a long shot, but I feel like the characters were kind of neat. Uh, it takes place in a uh, unfortunately high school setting, but it's like space <laughs> high school where the students learn to pilot Gundams, uh, 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 giant robots, mobile suits, they call them in this one. Um, the first episode is very reminiscent of Revolutionary Girl Lutena. I believe the writer, the, the series writer for this, also wrote the, I believe, the novel adaptations for Utena way back in the day. So there's both a, the I guess the comparison is 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 apt for sure. I don't feel like it really keeps Utena comparison outside of that initial first episode, to be honest. But the DNA is there. I thought the way that the show approaches uh, corporations and capitalism as being sort of the main enemy in this, whereas a lot of older shows have been more like PMCs or governments seems to really hit home in a modern way with uh, a lot of the politics in the background. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like I, I kind of flip-flopped on this show all season. Like I really liked it. And then I kind of just felt like it was spinning its wheels almost every other episode. Went back and forth. I, I kind of took a break when the show took a break. I think I watched the, the one where they go to the, the ball or the, like the, the dancing episode. Mm-hmm. I watched that, but I can't even watch anything after. I just, I don't know. <laughs> it you took know a break, so it gave me an excuse to take a break too. And I, maybe it's one of those things I never go back to because of it. You know, it's funny because I think that's exactly where I'm at too. Where they go to basically like a convention, a, this, this fancy ballroom party mixed with like a, sure. a convention where they sell, they try and sell, the companies try and sell their wares and try and get investors. For me, what I liked about it is one, it's it's kind of cool and sad to say this. This is Gundam's first female protagonist, whereas every single other one has been male, and so that was kind of something fresh. And the character dynamics between the two leads are interesting, whereas one is kind of very idealized and I'd say naive, and the other one is very cynical and cold-hearted because her father basically runs the largest conglomeration in this universe so she's very cynical and they're kind of they're they're kind of a yin and yang to each other somewhat and i kind of enjoyed the absurdity of the political aspects of the show because even though they're in high school they're representing um their family's companies when they're in like gundam fight and mystery of like the because in this series the gundam is banned. Like everyone has mobile suits, but the Gundam itself is banned. And the whole intrigue is the main girl. They don't know whether her mobile suit is like actual Gundam, and it's kind of a 
well, is there a deal or is there not a deal? And there's a lot of political intrigue back and forth with, like, what's her mother, what's the main character's mother doing in the background? What is yeah. the um, what is the other um, girl's main father's goal in the background? Because he runs the largest conglomeration. And it's it's kind of like all these snotty rich kids having to deal with the expectations of their families and of their companies. And uh, if you don't maintain expectations, then sorry, we're going to kick you out. And so long, I disavow you. <laughs> it got pretty absurd, like in the ball, of the ball episode, where there's a big confrontation and every all the characters are yelling at each other and they're being put upon high-rise pedestals. It, it felt something <laughs> kind of out of, out of, out of code geos from back in the day. <laughs> um, just kind of the absurdity of it. And uh, I, I I enjoyed the uh, the kind of absurd political machinations and the and the very soap opery nature of the show. You mentioned uh, like the idea of the Gundam being banned, and that's another thing that I, I thought they brought up here that the idea of the Gundam technology is specifically like linking your it, it's almost like medical technology, like prosthetics that was eventually transformed into being used for giant robots and mecha and the fact that you have again this this thing that could be used to help disabled people in the medical space being used co-opted for military applications and that being subsequently banned i think is another aspect to the capitalist critique that i found really caught me here i i've watched like i remember the, i compare this a lot to watching iron-blooded orphans back from 2016 mm. or so another Gundam I tried to watch and tried to like but just couldn't really get excited for because it didn't seem like it was really saying much other than okay here's some uh, PMCs private military companies that were outsourcing you know soldiers and said whatnot but here it looks like Gundam is saying something that other series other Gundam series really haven't at least in my limited experience of the series uh, you know the whole the entire franchise I should say I think that really kind of caught me. Every time I felt like I was feeling like I was about to drop the show, it kind of caught me with another critique of something that I found interesting. I know that a lot of Sunrise Mecha tends to fall apart in the second season, especially when it's split, like which for Mercury is. So we will have to see if it keeps its momentum or not. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, But I will say that... uh the mecha animation for this, as kind of expected, looks really great. Like all the mecha Gundam fights we've had, uh, I've qu- I've quite enjoyed, and um, I like the uniqueness of all the character designs and how everyone has a very distinctive look. So, on the animation front, I think it's pretty great. Um, we'll see if it sticks to story landing. It's always uh, a coin flip. Well, now it's time to go into the Hardcore Bill Corner as I talk about a Detective Conan spinoff. All right, I'm going to take a nap over here. Wake me up. (laughs) Okay. So, Detective Conan, for some reason, this year and last year has exploded in spinoffs that are exclusively coming to Netflix for some reason. Most of the spinoffs I have not really cared for. I talked about Zero Tea Time on our last seasonal review, it was fine. They're doing another one where it's the characters on Police Academy. I don't care 
about that, to be honest with you. What makes this spinoff probably the greatest spinoff is just it's making fun of the franchise itself and making a lot of in-jokes. So if you're a hardcore Conan fan like me, you will quite enjoy this because the main premise is you're following a character who's draped all in black. And usually when a character in Conan is draped all in black, they're the murderer. (laughs) And so it's him moving to Bankatown which is the city in Conan, and trying to adjust and being afraid of how things are and seeing the absurdity of it. Like, one of my favorite jokes is he starts to work at a pet store where his other co-workers are all teenage detectives. So eventually what happens is he'll be working with them and then they'll be like, sorry, can you take my shift? I have to go do, I have to go solve a murder case. (laughs) So it's a lot of like uh, fun in-jokes and, and references. Like Instead of the Conan door closing and how the uh, TV series does it, the door, the door opens in reverse. They also got Mai Karai, who has done multiple Conan openings, uh, to do the end song when I think she's been basically retired for a while. So it was cool to see her come back and do a song. And just also this guy who usually is the murderer interact with other characters like um in the conan spear just gets really absurd and really funny uh so if you're a hardcore conan fan you'll love all the jokes you'll love all the references i recommend it when it eventually gets on netflix um soon hardcoreville conan section over wake up wake up tobias wake up <laughs> okay okay Whew. It was a nice little, nice little nap. I appreciated the five minutes. Oh, no, no problem. <laughs> it's it's time to get to the the grand finale, Pro- probably the the show that both you and I got really into, which I think neither of us really expected, which was uh, Bochi the Rock. Rock, yeah, this is this is my what do you call it? Dark horse? This is my dark dark horse pick. Uh this uh do like DIY was something that I only showed up because I saw clips on the internet that were more toward like Sakaga fun anime centric. I didn't think the story was gonna be much of anything and it, I mean it, it hit harder than I thought, I'll say that. Uh Bochi the Rock is about a extremely introverted girl, Hitori. She learns to play guitar in middle school because she wants to eventually make friends, uh, push through her introversion and make friends. She is really good at learning the guitar, but she forgets to actually talk to people. So she vows in high school to finally break through her anxiety and uh, eventually sort of runs into 
these uh this member uh, this the small i guess they're, they're like a band uh, they haven't really played any shows yet so i don't know if it's quite fair to call them that at the beginning she meets a bunch of people who would make up the band she plays them they are their own sort of interesting characters as well and she learns some life lessons about interacting with people and her own self-worth and pushes through through a really great season I love this show now there's a difference between Dark Horse and Favorite Dark Horse is a show that is kind of underrated and doesn't get attention Bochy the Rug I know definitely got attention and <laughs> it certainly did. What was my personal favorite of the season which I was not expecting and what I think blew me away about it was, one, it approached what typically would be, like, your normal, like, high school girls trying to form a band struggles and put a character that would be usually left of center, center stage. A character like Bochi, or uh, would be, which is her nickname, would uh, be the side comedic character in most anime. They would not be the main character. So it was f- interesting and fresh to see something that would be treated more comedically as more of the main character and seeing things from her perspective, like the constant overthinking, the constant overworrying, uh, the paranoia at work, I could relate to. Because I've done with, I think, if you have kind of nerdy tendencies, you probably overthink a lot and worry, which I do. So I could relate a lot to her overthinking about, like, meeting people and overthinking about what are they going to say, what do I say, what do I do, and just the kind of uh, the paralyzing nature of social interaction people can feel, I I could understand it. On top of really interesting animation styles that they would kind of s- s- splurt in throughout the season, which was really fun to see. Yeah, they really went all out, not just with the individual fun Sakaka stuff, but they used a lot of, like, model. There was, like, a claymation segment or two. Uh, they had, like, models. There was a one segment with, like, a T-posing 3D CG version of the main character, like, just throwing through a bunch of cubes in, like, a, <laughs> like a 3D engine segment that it was really funny. The, uh, with the context of the show, I, I compare it to two things, like, Bochi the Rock is a, a mashup of both K-On! Like, imagine K-On! But imagine if the characters were actual human girls and not girl-shaped puppy dogs, like in K-On! <laughs> but combine that with uh, Watamote from 2012-2013 or so, except make the character actually likable and interesting, and not just a little a little jerk <laughs> like in Watamote. <laughs> It kind of combines those two flavors and works out really well. I think I liked what Bochi was doing better than better than both Kaon and Watamote at the end of the day. Uh, I think it's great how they sort of showcase the music there. I don't know if I would say the songs are like all-time best, but I think they were the way they were included. Uh, really great in the show. The, the looks at her introversion, or social anxiety rather, were very interesting, like you mentioned. I thought that the um, the other characters really worked off her really well. So we have uh, Nijika, the blonde-haired girl. She's kind of the leader of the band. I think she works as a really good leader. 
she's like the per- she's she's like the perky like always cheerful main character that you see in a lot of anime yeah um, and i think that she she wasn't just completely she wasn't the stereotypical church uh, oh man she wasn't how do i say this she didn't feel like a exactly like a stereotypically like chipper character she was realistic about their their goals as a band it wasn't until we get the other redheaded girl oh man she had a really fun name what was it ikuyo kita kita because her name means uh let's go <laughs> i'm good let's go i'm going kita ikuyo yeah kita's more of the the charismatic character we see a bit later and they're all contrasted with rio the blue-haired girl that is just kind of a a, a goofball <laughs> and also very exploitative of like could you please pay for my lunch i'm running out of money please please pay yeah. for this please a lot a lot of the jokes in the way that rio plays off the other cast i thought were really funny i, I really enjoyed so yeah the entire package comes together it's, it's when you say you talk about each individual aspect of bochi the rock it doesn't sound that interesting to me you know it's a high school girl show whatever that's everything the show about music, a little band, okay, whatever. You know, it's a show about social um, anxieties. It's like whatever. But the way it comes together, it just feels really great and really realistic. I've seen a lot of people really identify with uh, with Bochi, the main character. And I think that's kind of everyone's experience to a degree. Everyone who's gone through social anxiety or is introverted at all can really relate to her struggles. I think a great summary of what you're saying is like the show is greater than its parts yeah where exactly it's a, it's able to combine what would normally be kind of very tropey and stuff we've seen before but it's able to rise above that material i really like that the other girls kind of accept bochi for who she is and they don't they they're supportive of her they will they will tell jokes as as a friend normally would, but it's the jokes towards Bochi, I guess in the show never feel like they're to put her down. Like her, her family can be a bit aggressive, but family does that all the time because as family, you're able to get away with that, but they never, they never seem to make her, the jokes never seem to put her down or make fun of who she is, which I, I, I quite liked. I also liked how, she progresses, but she still is dealing with that social anxiety. Like, it's not like she accomplishes a goal and then she's cured. No, it, it doesn't go away, which is which is very realistic. Like, she's able to evolve and progress and be more comfortable as the show progresses, but she still has her uh, introverted self and her social anxieties that she still has to deal with on a daily basis, and they don't they don't magically go away. Yeah, I really liked how we saw that too. Not just the journey of her starting off hiding in a mango box initially. <laughs> it uh it's we see like when she plays her solo at that one show, she she hears some of the people talk talking shit in the audience, but she just bursts through with a solo and it turns out really good. And even in the the, the final episode, I don't want to go into sort of the struggle there because that's uh something I think you should watch, but just to see her power through those issues. And even like the final scene where she's buying her new guitar, you know, we still see her personality there. We still see her issues there, but she's definitely making making progress. Yeah, and I and I like how 
she kind of inspires the band. Like, uh, I saw one review where they said they really applauded how they did the music because the when they were doing Bad at the Club with the audience there, like, that's how a starting out band would be, where they're not, they don't suck, like, immensely, but you can tell, like, they're still pretty rough. And just her just going, like, I'm not going to let this end this way. I don't, I'm, I don't want it to end. And she just goes into her guitar solo and inspires the other members to pick back up and motivates them, which is, which is great. Or the, the little intricate moment between her and um, the leader, where she, after the after the their first con their first major concert with a real audience of just like her being honest about her fears and where she came from and wanting to be in a rock band and and how Bochi inspired her. I thought that was very sweet and very realistic. The uh, adult drunkard bassist best character. Ball anime. <laughs> uh, I, I'm scared to look at what the internet has done with that character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she was a lot of fun. Like her episode with Bochi, where they do the street performance, is a, is a lot of fun. And it was a great example of Bochi interacting outside of her normal circle. So that was that was quite fun. We're gonna we'll see season two for this eventually. I know that the manga is still ongoing. It 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 does end in a nice way, the same way the DIY did, but it is not as decisive as DIY was. So, like you say, I'm very eager to see more. Uh, I like these characters a lot. I feel like we can see a lot more progress, and yeah, cannot wait for season two if whenever we get it. Yeah, I hope so, because I think there's more things you could do with the Bochi character. And there's more kind of interesting ad- adventures that they could kind of put them on. So I would totally be up for a- another season if we get it. If we don't, I enjoyed this immensely and uh, would be very happy with it. You never know with the anime s- spinning wheel what you're going to get or not. As we wrap up, let's kind of uh, look to the near future. We have the winter season of 2023 coming up very shortly. Uh, based on my periphery look at the season, it looks like things are going to be more quieter, at least on my front, because a lot of it's like isekai shows, which is not really my jam. If that's your jam, good for you, but it's not really my cup of tea. Um, there's a couple of bright spots. Like uh, Studio Orange, who did Beastars, is doing a reboot of Trigun, which if you grew up watching anime in the 90s and early 2000s, you know Trigun and are probably interested to see where their adaptation goes. Yeah, a lot of people are excited about this so far. I'm, I'm, this is the one thing I'm definitely going to check out, being a, an anime old-timer. It's interesting to see if we're getting more of these 90s anime revivals. Who knows what we'll get next? Maybe 
I I wouldn't be shocked if Outlaw Star showed up somewhere as a as a reboot. On top of that, we have some stuff that Netflix is doing, like the new Jinjo Ito anthology show, uh, Maniac, which Tori and I are very cautious because the last Jinji Ito animated work did not translate well into animation. But we'll see. If this fails, we still have Uzumaki coming uh, this year. In terms of more kind of uh, weeby stuff, I'm interested to see Kubo Won't Let Me Be Invisible. I keep seeing that on the Shonen Jump app, and I want to read that, but I keep forgetting to read it. Well, it's not it's not entirely out. Like, I've looked into it because it, it shows up on the app, but they only have, like, the last few episodes. I think it starts at issue 100 or something. So oh, they, they don't, don't have, have, like, like the... the... Yeah, they don't have oh. the original... Because I, I looked into it too. I was like, oh, this looks kind of cute. Let's check it out because it's free, right? Oh, wait, they don't actually have the the first 100 or so chapters. I guess I'm not going to watch it. So <laughs> I, may, That's weird. I, I, I may watch this just because of that. Like, I don't know anything about it. it you know, it's not really my thing, but because I see it so much in the Shonen Jump app, I may just check it out for that reason. And then the probably the big thing for video game people is the Near Automata anime adaptation, correct? Yeah, Near I might check out. Um, I, yeah, the original game is great and all that, but I don't know much about this new anime version. I, I don't know if it's just a retelling, a reboot, or if it's a different story. Knowing Yokotaro, they're going to probably do something really wild and crazy with it. Uh, the trailer art style didn't exactly inspire me with huge confidence it just looks kind of like an anime thing but uh, I'll check it out in the very least I'm gonna probably wait and see because I still have not played Nier Automata so I in every video game adaptation I've tried I've kind of bounced off of like the Phoenix Wright adaptation World Ends With You I just kind of maybe watched like the first two episodes and kind of bounced off so I think I'm going to wait to see kind of what the general perception of the series is. And uh, if if it picks up steam, I'll probably check it out. I know this is kind of weird to say, but based on kind of what I'm saying, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a quieter season. So that'll be kind of a nice break for me. And because uh, listeners, you don't want to have too many shows or else you're just going to get over overwhelmed so having a smaller subset of shows is going to be nice i didn't think bill could get overwhelmed with watching anime i can especially if i have to listen to the opening and ending every single time uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not have to do that you know if if that gets cut then then i can watch like three extra episodes on top of what i normally do but uh some people just no, we have to see. We have to hear the opening and ending because reasons. Even though we already wow. saw it, so. <laughs> well, like you said, there's not much that I am right now interested in of this upcoming season. It, it's no, it's no fall 2022. I'll say that much. But uh, like we mentioned before, there's always going to be one or two surprises that show up. So uh, I'm keeping an eye out, ear to the ground, to see what people are talking about. I've uh, I watched a few earlier today. I watched uh, Tomo Chan as a girl. wasn't really impressed with that first 
episode. It really sounds like I mean, the, the basic idea is a uh, a tomboy gets into high school and realizes that she has she has feelings for her male best friend, but he doesn't see her as a girl, just as another one of the one of the guys. So she's there's a lot of sort of typical comedic segments where she's wondering what to do and how to feminize herself to win his attention. And if you're into that kind of stuff, if you're into that, that sort of almost like easy romance tropes, I think you'll like it. I just didn't really catch my attention. I'm, sounds, I'm generally not into that kind of thing. Cause I watched a lot of their shows. Sounds like it's going to be like a mixture of romance teasing and a lot of like my terminology, eighties yuck, yuck type anime comedy humor with that show. Yeah. It, it, I don't know if I would, it is yuck, yuck. I don't know about eighties yuck, yuck. It feels a little more modern than that, but it makes me think, you know, it makes me think of Shiki Mori in a way like Shiki Mori was doing something interesting, but it still used a lot of those tropes that are just not my thing. And I think that really why I couldn't really latch on to Shiki Mori earlier this year, but I know that you and Sarah were seem to be really into it. So I don't know. This may be a thing that you would enjoy, uh, maybe. I bet uh, I'll watch it because I've, I've seen a lot of those type of shows. Well, sometimes I get really hooked on those, and sometimes I kind of zone out. So who who knows? Yeah, and I've also checked out a show called Ningen Fushim, which um, it, I, I don't know exactly what the, the the title translates to, but it's basically about a bunch of rejects in a fantasy adventuring party so the main character he gets sort of cut from his his guild his adventuring guild whatever they call it uh for underperforming he starts to drink away his sorrow he becomes an idol otaku uh, out of nowhere <laughs> uh he meets up with a he goes to the bar and he meets a bunch of other rejects he meets like a, a mage that has been kicked out uh, the academy and broken up with because she's too good at magic, too much of a, a goody two shoes, uh, up and coming student. He meets a, a priest that uh, is running away from some accusations in his past, and it's it's a thing that seems like it's aiming for Konosuba's type of feel. I will say that it's mm-hmm. not nearly as funny or even as hard hitting as Konosuba was, but it's kind of in that sort of comedic vein of a bunch of uh, loser characters that you're supposed to sort of watch as they engage in, in comedic misunderstandings. Sounds like it could be. It could oh, be, it, and I, yeah. I, I'm i a little worried because like a lot of these sort of fantasy shows, it could get mean really fast with them being loser people that are coming up as heroes. I could see it maybe doing what some of these other like, isekai slave shows have done and just been mm. a thinly veiled excuse to be misogynist. I can mm-hmm. see that on the, the the vestiges of this show. It could go south very quickly. Or it could not. It could be they actually redeem themselves and get over their their issues that cause them to feel rejected. And it could be better people. It could go either way. So I'm going to give it three episodes to see where it tends to go. If it's tend to be going a more hopeful direction or not. It just... With so many other isekai coming out, this seemed to be a little different. So just for the sake of watching something... And trying to keep up with the, you know, the discourse, I figured I'd give Ningen Fushin a try. Who knows? Or the best route 
is like Konosuba, they just say losers and they're fun losers to be around. <laughs> and they just acknowledge their loserdom. Because that's what I think that's what made Konosuba great is like they like I think in one episode they had the main a main bad guy just do a big monologue and then just walking away from him. <laughs> it's like nah we don't want to deal with that. <laughs> Yeah, but other than that, I mean, I think that's kind of it. I'm waiting to see where people side on other things, see if there's anything worth checking out. But you know what? I've got a whole other season of Kaguya-sama I have to catch up on. Yes, you do. <laughs> Cannot so, wait until you get to the third season. Third, so for third. me, Kaguya-sama season three is going to be my anime of the season, winter 2023. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then then you have then we have the movie coming out pretty soon. Gotta get caught up with that, too. Me do. So, well, Tobias, thank you for joining me as I ramble on about all the shows I watched for the fall anime season. I appreciate your company. <laughs> yeah, anytime. As always, I think it's fun to check things out, even if a lot of it turns out to be kind of crap, even if there's just a lot of filler material in these. It, it's always kind of a fun game to see what it's actually taking off and what is turning into a modern classic. We have stuff like Chainsaw Man, like Bochi the Rock that it, you know, sort of comes out of nowhere. And I'm sure if nothing else, Chainsaw Man is going to be part of the, the larger canon, even in a few years. Even Spy Family, which is already sort of the next Shonen, Shonen Jump thing. It'll be interesting to see how those shake down in the coming years. I know a lot of people give the seasonally grind a lot of gaff because of how much gets watched and how much gets forgotten about. But I still think it's a lot of fun to, to visit these series and keep up, as it were. On that note, we will call it a pod. So, Tobias, where can people find you? Well, primarily, I out on the Third Impact Anime Discord, which we will have a link to in the show notes, I'm sure. I spend most of my work day not working but hanging out there uh, as of now i'm still on a twitter hiatus break i don't know how that's going to work but i can be found on mastodon which uh again if you just google my usual handle reverend underscore tobias you should be able to find me there no problem and you can also find me in the third impact discord where i'm usually mr newsman posting news stories about all types of nerdy things and i am still on twitter for some reason i think maybe i'm just it's kind of like funny because i see people say that said they've left to go to master dump but they're still on twitter so it's like a chicken and the egg game with twitter so we'll see where people eventually go and if they're able to cut the uh, ball and chain that people have with using Twitter, but yeah, you can still find me on there if you want to stay on the on the uh, supposedly sinking ship of Twitter at WB Foreman nine nine nine. You can find us on all your podcatchers of choice. We've been having a lot of fun episodes as of late. Um, as of this recording, we did our favorite things of twenty twenty two, where everyone kind of went through. Um, movies, video games, TV, anime, and books of stuff they really enjoyed. And I thought that was a lot of fun, and we'll have uh, more fun episodes for you in the future. 
So, until then, we'll catch you in the next one.